0: All right. If you got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on. Follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Um, Genesis thirty-seven is where we'll eventually get to. Um, We're going to look at one verse in chapter forty-one first, though. Um, We're starting a brand new series today called Unexpected. It's a story um, about a guy in the Bible named Joseph um, who ultimately does some incredible stuff. Like he has some dreams. He follows God through those dreams, and he eventually gets to where God wants him to go. But the way he gets there is incredibly unexpected. Like, you would think God spoke something to him, God did something, God God, God showed him some stuff, and then boom, it, it just happens. Which is oftentimes what we want. But the path there... Is hardly ever the way we want it to go. In fact, it's totally different, most often, all the time. I guess you could say, than what we would want. And so we can really say that 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 God takes us on an unexpected path to get to where He wants us. Let, let me let me kind of start out this message talking um, about this. Let me set it up this way. Um, we've talked about this before, and we showed that opening video. But nobody nobody likes to get stuck. And I really thought about this the other day. I was driving back from Kansas City, and um, I was on the interstate. We were making really, really, really good time, like beating the GPS, like shattering it. Really, I mean, it was it was good. Um, and then we came around, we're down this hill, and came around the corner. And as soon as we came around the corner, guess what we saw? Brake lights right as far as the eye could see. And in that moment, for like not even that moment, for the next of what felt like forever, Chloe and I are stuck in traffic, which is the absolute worst for me. Does that first say anybody else with me? Am I like the only one? I love love my wife is in Indiana right now and she's talking about how bad traffic is. The the best thing I love about living in a small town is there's not a lot of traffic here. There's 57 stoplights in town, but there's not, there's not a lot of traffic, right? So that's good. So when I get there, I like a flashback to big city stuff and it's just like, oh, why are we stuck here right now? Like, why are we, this is the interstate. We're supposed to be moving. You're supposed to flow. Oh, somebody's windshield wiper fell off. That's why we're stopping. Sweet. That's like awesome. Like everybody slowed down to look at that. That's, that's great. None of us, like to get stuck we don't like to be stuck in traffic we wouldn't like to be stuck on the escalator we don't like to be stuck and the reason i want to start start out talking about being stuck is because maybe some of you like that's how you feel in life right now just stuck and you feel like you're at a place that you never ever 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 thought that you would be and and by that i mean if somebody would have told you five years ago 10 years ago 15 years ago that this is where you'd be at today you, you would have said nope not me uh, something like that happens to other people. People go through that, but but not not me. and because of that, maybe today you feel like you're stuck or or maybe your word isn't stuck. maybe maybe your word is abandoned. Maybe that's how you you feel or or maybe you're confused um, as to what's happening, what's going on around you, or maybe you feel like you're even being punished by others, or even being punished by God. But this is what I believe with all my heart as we start out this series, that you may not be where you want to be, but I want you to walk out of this room today knowing that even though you may not be where you want to be or need to be, like like you feel like you're not necessarily there, I want to tell you that you're on the way. I mean, you might not be where you want to be, but you're one step closer to where God wants you to be. You might not be where you need to be, but today I want you to know you're one step closer to where God wants you to be. Maybe not where you want to be, but where God wants you to be. Because even in traffic, even though you can see all the brake lights and you're riding your own brake, eventually you get to where you're going. And as followers of Jesus, eventually we get to where God wants us to go in his time, right? Not our time. And so instead of having the mindset of, oh, I'm just stuck, and this is all I'll ever be, and this is all I'm ever going to do, I'm hoping and praying that throughout this series and starting today, we can walk out of here saying, I'm on the way to immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine, because that's the God that we have. The God who takes us beyond immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. L- l- listen listen. We survey God that leads us to promotion, not punishment. Now, we're gonna start every single message in this series with this verse. And the reason why is because I want us to have in mind the end of the story as we walk through all the unexpected things that happen in the story. Again, there's a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. He goes on a show called Egypt's got talent, and he wins, like gets the golden buzzer from Pharaoh, and the confetti falls. Not really. That's not really what happens, but sort of, kind of. And the Bible tells us this in Genesis chapter 41, verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Now, this is a big deal. Let me tell you why it's a big deal. Joe is a country boy from the sticks. I mean, Joseph wasn't from Egypt. He wasn't even Egyptian. And so for Joseph to be put second in command over the largest empire in the world when he wasn't even from there, that's a big deal. Yes or no? Yeah, we would all agree. Like, 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 like that just doesn't just normally happen. So how does it happen? How does Joseph get there? Because a lot of times we'll look at people, especially in the Bible, will look at stories and will be like, oh my gosh, that's like an overnight success. There is no such thing as an overnight success. Like I will guarantee you one thing. If somebody is standing on a mountaintop, they had to walk through hell to get to the top of that mountain. So just looking at this from the surface, it looks like Oh my gosh, Joseph has it all together. Like, that's the life I want. I mean, second in command? I mean, I'd I'd like, let's be honest, I'd like to be first in command, right? right, Everybody here would like to be first. But second in command over the entire nation of Egypt, the biggest empire in the entire world? Like, that's a pretty cool gig. Joseph had it going on. Joseph had all the economic resources he could ever want it or needed. Like, Like, he is set up with everything he would ever need. But his story didn't start out that way. In fact, we're going to look at the beginning of his story. It starts out all the way back in chapter 37. That's where Joseph's story starts. It says this in verse number two. This is the account of Jacob and his family. Now, let me, let me stop and cause I can't just skip over that. We got to talk about that. It's a big statement. Jacob and his family. Jacob's family was jacked up. How many of you know somebody that's got a jacked up family? How many of you are in a jacked up family? some of your hands went even higher right there. I'm telling you, I've got a messed up extended family. I mean, I can't even tell you some of the stories about my family and this is central. We talk about a lot of bad stuff, right? And and you probably could do some of the same thing. We could all we could all tell stories about how jacked up our family is. However, here's the thing. As jacked up as we would say our families are, nobody in this room had a family as a jacked up as Jacob's. Now, some of you might disagree. Well, pastor, you ain't never seen my family. Well, hold on, on. let me explain. He had four wives, four, like got you beat right there. And the wives in Genesis chapter 34 and 35 got into competition to see who could have the most children with Jacob. It's, it's crazy. It's like Jerry Springer meets Girls going wild at the beach, right? I mean that's pretty much what's going on. Like no nobody's excited about that. Like maybe Jacob is okay, I guess we gotta try again. I I don't know. This is in the Bible, I promise. I'm not make probably not the Jerry Springer part. But anyway, like it's it's there. And so they have this competition and Jacob ends up having all these kids and he has twelve boys. Twelve. How many? Twelve boys. Can you imagine having twelve boys? I have two kids and three dogs, and I lose my dang mind all of the time. Can you imagine 12 boys? Can you imagine taking 12 boys? Moms, how many moms are there? Can you imagine taking 12 boys to Walmart? Like, if you leave with 10 of them, that's a success, right? Like, you're still kind of ahead still. I don't know. I got the majority. Like, that's absolutely crazy. 12 kids. Now, In the birth order, I don't know if you've ever studied birth order or anything like that, but in the birth order, Joseph is number 11. And so in the ancient world, the first son, when the father died, the first son would get the majority of the inheritance. The second born would get the second most. And the third born would get the third most. And the fourth most, or fourth born, would get the fourth most. And the 11th most would get the 11th. Like it was hardly nothing. So can we agree that being the 11th born son was not a great position in life. Yes or no? Yeah, it, it's really not. Like, that's not where I want to be. That's not where you want to, like, we don't want to be 11th. Nobody is is saying, hey, sign me up for the 11th, 11th position. Like, that's not it. But here's what's crazy. And, and listen, let, let me say this. You got to hear this. Like, I'm not a Bible numerology guy. All right. So don't come up to me saying, pastor, did you know that if you take these three letters and apply them to the fourth sentence of the book of Micah and cross that with the eighth verse of Matthew chapter seven in the second line, you get the date of the second coming. Like, don't do that. Stop saying stuff like that. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. But there are some numbers in the Bible that have some meaning. Like, like you can go and, and you, like you can go to, to BibleStudy.org and you can, you can type this in, you can Google this and it'll come up and it'll tell you like what different numbers mean and stuff like that. There, there are some significant ones and 11 is one of them. Like if you look at the number 11 in the Bible, the number 11 represents on a consistent basis three things. Imperfection, judgment, and disorder. That's what the number 11 represents in the Bible. Can anybody relate to those three things? Imperfection, judgment, and disorder? Like let's let's walk through them. Cuz the imperfection thing, <laughs> I got that down. Right? I've never met anybody that has said, "Hey pastor, would you pray for me?" Sure. What do you want me to pray about? Well, I'm just so perfect and I don't know how to stop being perfect." I'd be like, "Come here. Got some people over here going to drug test you." Like 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 nobody nobody struggles with being perfect. All of us know that we're not perfect. Everybody knows. In fact, we've got people who remind us of how imperfect we are. Hey, remember that time? Dude, I'm trying to forget that time, but thanks for bringing it up, right? Then there's judgment. Every single person here, everyone that'll watch us online, all of us know what it's like to have somebody judge us. We know what it's like to have somebody look down on us. We have some, we know what it's like to have somebody exclude us. We, we know what it's like to be judged by other people. But not only that, how many of us understand the weight of self-judgment, right? So imperfection and judgment, and then there's disorder. <laughs> That's my life. Disorder. Like if I don't write it down, it don't get done. Anybody else like that? Like, this is crazy. Honestly, if Mary's not telling me, it doesn't get done. She's not reminding me. That's really where it comes from. But there are so many people that that's what you feel like. Like I'm a model of imperfection. You live under constant judgment and your life is in disorder. That's the system that Joseph is stuck in. Now, keep that in mind as we keep reading. The Bible tells us this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, remember when you were 17? Anybody remember that? Anybody want to, like, absolutely forget that? Like, you knew everything at 17, didn't you? I did! I knew it all! And then the older I've gotten, the dumber I have gotten. But man, when I was 17, I knew everything there was to know. Thank God social media did not exist when I was 17. I wouldn't be here today. It's probably another message for another time. But 17. Joseph was 17 years old. He often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilphah. Those are some great names. Use those. Next next baby born here in Central. We'll give you a free shirt. Um, But but I haven't preached in two weeks, so it's cool. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brother were doing. So so Joseph is a tattletale, right? This Joseph's got all kinds of problems going on. And Joseph, don't miss this, Joseph is stuck. He's stuck in a system where he's always going to be number 11. He's got a dead-end job working for his half-brothers. I mean, Joseph is not in an ideal place doing ideal things. He's not living immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Joseph was not second in command over all of Egypt. And don't miss this, not only was he not second in command over all of Egypt, he's not even second in command over his family. He's stuck in a position where something supernatural doesn't happen, he's always going to be there. Which, by the way, where some of us feel like we are on a daily basis. We look at our lives. We look at the, the last two months. and We look at the next two months and we say, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck here and I'm single. I'm stuck and I'm anxious. I'm stuck and I'm depressed. I'm stuck and I'm addicted. I'm stuck and I'm worried. I'm stuck and I don't have a job. We talk about how stuck we are and we feel like we're so stuck that nothing can ever get us out of the pit that we have wound up in. But that is where God comes in and moves. Watch this, verse three. Jacob loved Joseph, which is always great to be loved by your dad. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Now, if you've got any type of Bible background or knowledge, this is Joseph's coat of many colors, and he wears it proudly. And every time we talk about Joseph and his, his coat of many colors, we, we, we talk about how great it is. And we kind of admire that Joseph wore this coat. But don't miss this, because think about this. I thought about this um, over the past several weeks and I'm putting this series together. The coat that he wore that was beautiful, that we talk about all the time, identified him with the system that he was stuck in. Because as long as he wore that coat, he's always going to be number 11. It's a label that the father put on him that on the surface looks good, but it doesn't benefit him at all. Have you ever been labeled? Have you ever labeled yourself? Have you ever let anybody else label you? I, I think we all have. Like that That's not the point of the message, but it's right here in the text. And so I want to say it before we move on. Labeled. He's labeled by what's been put on him. And look at this. Verse 4. But his brothers hated Joseph. Hold on. He's number 11. He's not a threat to them. He's not going to get more inheritance. I mean, maybe to number 12 is a bad deal. But to everybody else, he's not a threat. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Now, we'll talk about this dream and another dream um, over the next several weeks. But for today, there's a word that appears in verse 4 and verse 5 that sticks out. It rhymes with great, but it's not great. It's the word what? Hate, right? It's hate. They hated him. Hate is a big word. But listen to me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter here who you are. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you want to be great, you've got to be able to handle hate. Like, like, period. Doesn't matter what you. Do. Doesn't matter if you're an artist. Doesn't matter if you're a musician. Doesn't matter if you're a mechanic. Doesn't matter if you're the CEO. If you're great, you're going to get hate. And the greater things that you accomplish, the more hate that's going to come your way. I've had to. I've had to be reminded of this over and over and over again over the past several weeks. Like Joseph had a dream of doing something great and his brothers gave him nothing but hate. Now, let's talk about the stress that comes from hate because we'd all agree that there's a lot of stress that comes from people hating you, right? Because one of the things, one of the biggest things that stress people out in our society today, one of the biggest stressors is there are people in this room that you allow the hate that comes through your cell phone to hijack your emotions for the rest of the day. People that don't even know you taking pot shots at you and you allow it to, to take the joy and, and, and rob you of the potential of your future because I'm a Karen 27 said something about you. And she doesn't even know you, but you carry the weight that you don't need to carry. But let, let me use this illustration. Let's say let's say hypothetically right, that you're having, um, you and I, we're, we're having lunch at, I don't know, let's say, Bored Narrows. Let's just say that's what we're eating at, right? And uh, did, did, was this thing not been on the whole time? Um, I told you um, that I'm having like some back problems. Like, hey man, my back really hurts. And you're like, really? I say, yeah, it's hurting. I can't really get it to feel good. I mean, it's just throughout the day, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And you say, okay, well, kind of like walk me through your day. Like, what, 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 what do you do? And I tell you, well, every day I wake up. And I strap on a 200 pound backpack, and then I get up and I walk outside, and right there you stop me. And you say, Well, hey man, I think I just discovered your problem. What's that? it's the 200 pound backpack, Ryan. No, no, no. That's not the problem. That can't be the problem. I love the the backpack. Everybody loves the backpack. Everybody sees the backpack. People admire the backpack. You would know that that's not true. You would know that that is the problem. If I'm stepping out with a 200 pound backpack on and carrying that throughout the day, you would say, Ryan, you're carrying too much weight. You've got to let that go, right? Well, Flip that back into this other illustration. Some people in this room, some people online, like you're carrying too much weight. You need to, you need to let this thing go. You, you really do. Like people who don't know you cannot define you. But, but Ryan, they don't like my picture. You know what? They don't like anybody's picture, right? You're not going to please everyone. So stop trying. Listen, this doesn't come from me. It comes from what Jesus said. Jesus is a really awesome guy. He did some really cool stuff. Um, He said this in Luke chapter 7, verse 30. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread, which he was on the keto diet or something, or drinking wine, which he was obviously Baptist. Let's be honest. John the Methodist would have been hammered. Thanks for laughing. (laughs) I love telling that joke every time. Every time. (laughs) For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. He's talking to religious leaders and he's telling them, he's like, hey, you're not saying when John the Baptist is doing stuff, you're not being like, oh, he's demon possessed. But then he says this he's talking about himself, the Son of Man, on the other hand feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunker and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. In other words, Jesus is saying, you can't please everybody. So stop trying. You can't please everybody. Joseph is number 11. He's carrying the weight of hate. He's stuck in a system where there's envy And hate, and it's unexpected because he's got these dreams and and he's heard from God and he thinks all of this stuff is going to be great, but it's not there. So how do you go there? How do you go from there to second in command over Egypt? Because second in command of Egypt, that's a big deal. In, In the church world, we would call that a mountaintop experience, right? But listen, one of the things that we've got to understand is to get to the mountain, oftentimes we have to walk through the valley. And sometimes that valley... Is absolute hell on earth. Watch what happens. Watch the unexpected in Joseph's life. Verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming. Now, let me kind of back up and tell you what has happened up until this point because we skipped a bunch of verses. Um, one day... Jacob, Joseph's dad, told Joseph, who's his number 11 son, you need to go check on your brothers. They're supposed to be at point A. You need to go over there and and you need to you need to talk to them. They're supposed to be at this location. And so Joseph goes to that location and they're not there. And so he's like, "Well, my daddy told me to find my brothers." So he starts asking around in different parts of different areas, and somebody says, "Oh, we heard one of your brothers say they're going to be over here." And so Joseph finally finds out where his brothers are going and he heads in that direction, which I want to pause and point out the metaphor here. Joseph is doing what his father told him to do, period. We we can all agree with that, right? Joseph is only doing what his father Jacob told him to do. At the end of the day, being a follower of Jesus Christ is saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I want to be surrendered to you. Whatever you tell me to start doing, I'm going to start doing it. Whatever you tell me to stop doing, I'm going to stop doing. I want to be surrendered to you. What you tell me to do, I'm going to do. I want to do what my heavenly father tells me to do. Don't you? But do you know that sometimes our heavenly father will lead us through tough times? I didn't say two tough times. I said through tough times. In my own experience... God has never led me to a tough time. He's led me through it, but not to it. And, and, and if you feel like God has led you to it and not through it, well, you're just on the way. You're on the way through where God wants you to be. And remember, it's always, always, always in his time, not ours. Because he rules and reigns supreme. He's, he's the one that's in control. Joseph is doing what the father wants. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because a lot of times people will tell us, well, if you're doing good things, then good things happen to you. If you're doing bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. And that is so wrong. Bad things really do happen to good people. Joseph, all he's doing is being obedient to the father. And watch this. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in a distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Is that a bit extreme, yes or no? Yes. Killing him. Killing him. Now I like, little confession here. I like scaring people. I do. I I like scaring people. It is fun. If you scare me, I'll punch you in the throat. Um, But I, it's just a reaction. It just is. I freaked out and arms. I don't know, but I love scaring people. I'll just ask the staff here. I scare all, except for Trevor. I'm not allowed to scare Trevor anymore because I scared Trevor one time. and freaked him out so bad. I still don't know what happened to Trevor that day, but Trevor said very nicely, please don't ever scare me again. And so we don't do that. Um, one time, one time I was, I was working um, in this office environment and I was like, I'm going to scare that person over there. And um, when they got up out of their desk area and they went, I don't know, to the bathroom or whatever. Um, I got underneath their desk. Like, they never saw me. And they came back and they started typing on their computer. And when they did that, I grabbed both of their ankles and just went, and then (laughs) chocolate ice cream emoji. (laughs) Like, they said it and did it. Like, basically, is what happened right there. I love, I love scaring people. Like, that is, that is fun for me. That is, that's fun. But killing someone? I mean, when you're that angry, that's a problem. And and then think about this. This isn't like a crime of passion. This isn't something that's in the moment. Like, no, 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 no. They made plans to murder their brother. Let's kill him. I mean, he's number 11. Again, what threat is he? Let's kill him? Look at this, verse 19. Here comes the dreamer. They're making fun of him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. There it is again. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. This this is crazy. They're going to kill him, and then they're going to lie about him. They're going to turn their back on him, and then they're going to lie about it. Has anybody ever turned their back on you and then lied about it? I mean, they used to be your ride or die. You you ever heard that expression, ride or die? They were your ride or die, but they don't have to ride with you anymore if they kill you, right? Let me say this. For the person that feels like somebody turned their back on you, walked away, and and left you for dead, listen to me, listen real closely. Right now it hurts, but five, ten years from now, you'll realize God did you a favor. That God did you a favor, and, and here's the reason I say that. It's because sometimes, sometimes we can see the attack coming. Sometimes we can feel the attack coming. Sometimes it just feels like it's this impending, like, like it's this, this weight is weighing down on us. But we see in Isaiah 54 verse 17, Isaiah says, no weapon turned against you will succeed. Period. No weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up, raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now notice the Bible never says that the weapon will not be formed against you. It says it just won't succeed. Uh, I was thinking about this as as I was preparing this message. Um, I've had a knife put on me two times. I've had a gun pointed at me um, once. Don't ask what I was doing. I'm having a long time ago. Probably another message for another time. But the point is, even though there were knives, even though there was a, a gun, they didn't prosper. They didn't succeed. And, and that's a reminder that if you feel like the enemy's coming against you, l- l- listen, I'll say it like this. You know what the problem is so many times? And, and I know this is in my own life. We'll take and talk more about what the devil is doing in our lives than what God is doing in our lives. And, and that's crazy because God is the one who is in total control. And he's the one we need to give the glory to. Because if the enemy has formed a weapon against you, the scripture says it will not prosper. Because because this this is their plan. Kill their brother. Kill Joseph and throw him in a pit. Kill him, throw him in the pit. And then we see this in verse 21. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father, which is a huge message just in that right there that we'll talk about later on in the series. This sounds really, really, really good on the surface. But at the end of the day... If Reuben rescues Joseph from this bad thing he's going to go through, guess what? Joseph is still stuck as number 11. Hated, and he never makes it to Egypt. And so watch what happens next, verse 23. When Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe. C- can you imagine how confused Joseph had to have been? Hey guys, what's up? I've been looking everywhere for you. Oh, dang. Like, I mean, things go bad quickly. And they stripped the robe off of him they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern so that they strip him naked is really what they do and they throw him down into the ground now the cistern was empty there was no water in it which meant it's it's gross it's absolutely nasty so picture this they strip him down they throw him in a pit this is like the show naked and afraid right here in the bible in a pit but joseph didn't have to go on a reality tv show he's legitimately naked and afraid and confused and doesn't know what the heck is going on stripped of his robe the only thing in the world that he had stripped naked and afraid in a pit without hope in a pit you ever felt like you're in a pit you ever felt that i I want a shirt that says pit happens that should be like our our next central shirts because it does right you're in deep pit. Oh, pit. Joseph's in a pit. Naked and afraid in a pit. Now, here's the question. What verse did we start out with? Genesis 41, verse 41. In Genesis 41:41, it says, Joseph was what in command? Second. Second in command over the entire nation of Egypt. But here he is in a pit. And oftentimes when we're in a pit, we see the pit as punishment. But in this story and in your story, the pit is not punishment, it's promotion to get us to where God wants us to go because God had to get him out of the system that he was stuck in and he used a pit to do it. Is that what Joseph would have wanted? Uh-uh. Joseph would have liked, hey man, I had this dream and I'm going to be second in charge and I'm going to rule over my brothers and sisters and the moon and the stars and all that stuff. And again, we'll talk about those things next week. And I had all of that, but, 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 uh, God's just going to put me there. That's what he would have loved to have happened, but God took him, and God did it in his way. God had to strip him of everything that he knew so he could step into something brand new. God used a pit to get him to the palace. So the person here today that feels like you've been stripped down of everything, you've been stripped of your dignity, you feel like you've just been stripped, you feel like you lost something that you thought you would always have, people have walked away from you that you thought would always be in your life, and you're in a pit. You and I need to look at this, not as I'm being punished, but as where is God taking me? How is this situation Making me more like Jesus. It's not punishment, it's promotion. Becoming more like Jesus is always a good thing, yes or no? Yes. Because when God's getting ready to take you somewhere, like oftentimes you you don't feel it, right? And you definitely don't feel it when you're in a pit. But you've got to understand, listen, again, I'm going to say this over and over and over and over again the next five weeks. God really is in control. He really is. He really is in control, and we need to learn in all our ways, submit to him, and lead not on our own understanding, so we can get from where we are to where he wants us to go. This is where I'm going to end today, and we'll pick it back up next week. Verse 25, then... Just as the brothers, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishlamite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to where? Where does it say? Egypt. And his brothers, instead of killing him, sell him to slave traders. You ever felt like that? You ever get out of the pit and it's like you get out of the pit and you think everything's going to be great, but then you go straight to prison. You ever felt like you saw the light at the end of the tunnel? Yes, but it's a train and it just like blows you over. Can you imagine Joseph, naked and afraid? They pull him out of the pit and he thinks, oh man, they were just kidding. They were just messing with me. There's a little bit of hope. And the next thing you know, he sold to slave traders for 20 shekels of silver. The slave traders, don't miss this. The slave traders take him to Egypt, where eventually he becomes what? Second in command. Don't miss this. If he doesn't go through the hate, if he doesn't get stripped of his robe, and he's not naked and afraid in the pit, if he doesn't get sold into slavery, he never makes it to where God ultimately had for him. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not trying to minimize any any of the hell on earth anybody's been through. I'm just saying God is God and we are not. And God is always going to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. You you might not be where you want to be right now, but by God's grace, you're on the way. Maybe you're in a pit right now. Maybe you're confused, but you're on the way to where he wants you to be. People maybe abandon you. That's all right. Listen, I know it hurts, but at the end of the day, you're on the way to where God wants you to be. If you're tired, don't give up. Because you're on the way. If you're struggling, don't give in because you're on the way. You need to realize you're not stuck. You're on the way to immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine. You need to understand. The scripture says, Genesis 50, verse 20, what the enemy planned to harm you, God intended for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of souls. You're on the way, ultimately, to where he has taken you because that's been his plan all along and you might not see the good right now but soon you'll see the victory in fact when you walk out of here today that's what I want you that's what I want you to say I I know I'm going to see a victory I know I'm going to see I know I'm going to see a victory we're going to see a victory because we're not where we want to be and we're not where we need to be but we need to learn to submit to God and he'll take us from where we are to where we need to be let's pray